Hackensack Meridian Children's Health is comprised of two nationally ranked children's hospitals by U.S. News and World Report and are number one in New Jersey. K. Hafnadian Children's Hospital in Neptune and Joseph M. Sanzari Children's Hospital in Hackensack, as well as pediatric inpatient and outpatient services at JFK University Medical Center in Edison. With access to expert pediatricians and over 200 pediatric specialists across the state, Hackensack Meridian Children's Health prides itself on offering specialized pediatric medical care and surgical expertise. To learn more about Hackensack Meridian Children's Health, visit hackensackmeridianhealth.org kids. My name is Kate Santangelo. Welcome to the Mom with Moms podcast, part of the Mom with Moms network. Listen in as we bring awareness to the best local resources for growing families in Monmouth County, New Jersey, chat with local moms and mompreneurs, highlight our favorite resources, local spots, restaurants, and more. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mom with Moms podcast. Uh, it's been a little bit of a hiatus. Um, we were just chatting that I haven't been here in a while. I think with the holidays, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was because the way the holidays fell this year or what, but I noticed just from like posts on social media and like some of my friends kind of all very much saying the same thing that it took like the first couple weeks of January to get back into the swing of things. Um, and then it snowed last week. So we had to cancel a couple of things. So I'm here. Don't worry. The podcast is still going. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, it took, uh, took us a little bit to get back to status quo. So I'm excited to um, kick off the new year with um, our family healthcare series uh, with Hackensack Meridian Children's Health. We are going to be bringing you lots of new podcasts this year, um, filled with uh, with all kinds of. Um, uh, practitioners and um, you know great people that work for Hackensack that can t- uh, talk to us about all kinds of family healthcare issues and um, any questions that you have. So feel free to kind of you know write in and email us with any suggestions, any questions that you have about specific things that are going on with your kids and yourself. Um, and we'll be bringing you different um, different um, episodes throughout the year. Um, so with that said, we are welcoming Dr. Suhas Ganguli. Um, today is a uh, Dr. Ganguly is a board-certified pediatric rheumatologist specializing in diagnosing and managing a wide range of autoimmune, autoinflammatory conditions, including juvenile arthritis, systemic onset juvenile arthritis, lupus, vasculitis, derm, uh, I'm going to butcher this one, dermatomyositis. Derma- okay, thank you. <laughs> Periodic fever um, syndromes and COVID-19-related multisystem inflammatory s- syndrome in children. Um Dr. Ganguly is trained to perform procedures such as intra, um, intra-articular, I, I got that one, injections yes. um, of um, corticosteroids in various joints of arthritis. His scholarly interest includes validating patients' um, reported outcome tools in children with lupus and overall quality improvement in rheumatology care. He comes with extensive experience in providing state-of-the-art rheumatology care to rural and other medically underserved communities. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. 
Thank you, Kate. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the very kind introduction. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I am. I think we were just chatting a little bit, and um, it's funny sometimes when we have the um, the hack and sack series, the family healthcare series. I'll kind of have my own experience with a little bit of you know maybe my kid has had that or I had that or whatever, so I can I can speak to it. But I have not. Uh, I don't really know a lot about rheumatology outside of my mom having lupus, so I know she sees one, which I mentioned to you. Um, so I'm excited to dive in to learn more about you know what a rheumatologist is um, and um, and why. A child would would see one. So t tell us tell us all the good stuff. <laughs> These are great questions, actually. So um, you know, rheumatologists are specialists who treat autoimmune and autoinflammatory diseases, and many of these diseases also give you symptoms of uh, related to bones, joints, and muscles, such as joint pain, swelling, stiffness, muscle weakness, etc. Now. Um, we do have an immune system that is supposed to protect us from um, bugs, viruses, etc. Now, if the immune system, because of any reason, becomes overactive and instead of protecting us, starts attacking our internal organs, um, you know, um, such as um, kidneys, such as blood, such as heart, in addition to muscles, joints, and skin, the diseases that we get are rheumatic diseases. Okay. Um, so. A rheumatologist is usually taking care of patients who have symptoms of joint pain, swelling, unusual rashes, unexplained fevers. Um, and depending on the age group they see, they're adult rheumatologists or a pediatric rheumatologist. Okay. What are some, well, first and foremost, what are some of the um, illnesses that a child would have that would lead them to being treated by a rheumatologist? So the most um, common illnesses that um, children get who, which get them to our offices are different types of arthritis. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to that, uh, we treat patients with, for example, juvenile dermatomyositis, which is inflammation of the skin or the muscle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes vasculitis, which is inflammation of blood vessels, lupus, which is an autoimmune disease causing inflammation of multiple organs over their lifetime. Mm -hmm. In addition to these, sometimes we get patients where a joint pain has continued without an explanation and is even mechanical. For example, you know, uh, related to overactivity, sometimes it is related to chronic pain or fibromyalgia or amplified pain. We see those patients as well. Oh, interesting. I didn't know children can get fibromyalgia. Yes, they, they, they can get fibromyalgia. They, you know, the preferred term that we use is amplified musculoskeletal pain syndrome. Mm. There are different types of that. The generalized form is what we what is broadly and more commonly known as fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. but there are other forms. So children can get various forms of chronic pain syndrome. Okay. Um, I also mentioned, uh, you know, how prevalent is it that a child would be seeing a rheumatologist? And you said that it's more prevalent than one would think. Um, so uh, can you speak to that? Uh, that is true. And, and that's a very, very good question. So when you, you know, when you think of these diseases that I just mentioned, um, and I'm pretty sure that most of your listeners are not familiar individually with these diseases. Right. That is because individually, some of these diseases are quite rare. But if you club them together in the category of autoimmune or autoinflammatory diseases, they are not very uncommon. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, a child with juvenile arthritis um, is, uh, is someone we are more likely to see than with than a child with certain types of tumor or certain types of rare metabolic diseases. I see. So it's not very uncommon at all. Um, depending on um, 
you know, how you classify juvenile arthritis. I think we'll get into that in a little bit, but um, it can vary from um, anywhere between two to 80 per 100,000 children, which is, which is not a less number in a, in a, in a um, community like ours. Right. And um, if a child is, um, ex- you know, displaying symptoms of some kind, do they display symptoms? Obviously, their, their first, you know, stop is going to be their pediatrician. Um, but what are some symptoms that maybe they would need to see a rheumatologist or do they, are they diagnosed with, you know, a specific illness and then this is like part of their treatment plan? Right. So that, that is a very good question. So, you know, because rheumatic diseases are chronic diseases, they develop over time quite slowly and they can be hard to recognize and mm-hmm. hard to pick up. And on top of that, children are very, very resilient. And that's what that's what makes me makes it a lot of fun to work with them. But at the same time, children off with arthritis or inflammatory conditions often do not report pain. They, for example, would stop doing certain things that they were previously doing. Mm-hmm. So an example would be um, a, a five-year-old girl who is very active in the gym and school um, would suddenly stop throwing a ball over their head or would not be able to climb up on their you know, car or on their uh, on the stairs right. because of muscle weakness, because they're not going to tell you that they're weak. Or for example, if somebody has a chronic knee pain or chronic knee arthritis, is no longer folding their knee up while sitting on the sofa. And that's the first thing a parent can notice Mm -hmm. instead of the child complaining of pain. Sometimes they're slow and stiff in the morning. So I've had that in a few patients where the patients have had difficulty with fork and spoon at the breakfast table because of stiffness of their wrists and fingers, but not at the dinner. Typically, the stiffness is worse in the morning after a prolonged inactivity when they're sleeping at nighttime. Oh, yeah. Like you're, my, my back issues. So like if I'm in one position for a long time and I get up, it's I guess it's the same thing. That's of, exactly yeah. what okay. it is. Interesting. Um, so what is arthritis exactly? Is it inflammation of the joint or stiffness of the joint or both? That is correct. Okay. So um, it is both. So, so, <laughs> so inflammation, arthritis literally means inflammation inside the joint. Okay. Um, and it can be manifested as joint pain joints, visible swelling of the joint, stiffness, and which is particularly worse in the morning or as you described with inactivity. Um, so this is how arthritis can manifest, but it literally means inflammation of the joint. Mm. Do you see um, children in sports that develop arthritis from like injuries or no? So um, fortunately, that is not the case with children. Mm-hmm. Um, injuries can lead to chronic arthritis in adults, but okay. we don't see that that much in children. Um, in children, arthritis is as opposed to adults who see age-related changes and degenerative arthritis. In children, arthritis is often inflammatory, um, so it's usually not related to um, injury or sports. Okay. I have a note in here for um, uh, a point about calcium deficiency and vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Um, why is that noted? So it is, um, you know, it's a, first of all, it's it's very important for children to get um, adequate calcium for their uh, bone strength. And vitamin D is what really helps to absorb the calcium okay. and, and develop the bones. Mm-hmm. So these are very important things for children. And also in certain rheumatic diseases, there can be concurrent deficiency of vitamin D and calcium, especially when we treat children with steroids 
We can elaborate a little bit on that if mm-hmm. you want, um, in terms of you know uh, what are the sources um, of these vitamin D could be, and what are the conditions where um, one can develop if um, if they are deficient in vitamin D. So if they have, um, are they being treated with steroids for something that is unrelated? They can develop rheum- like rheumatoid issues so through vitamin D deficiency. It's, it's yeah, it's vice okay. versa because. As I said, you know, rheumatic diseases or autoimmune diseases, which are as a result of overactive immune system. Mm -hmm. Now, to suppress the immune system, sometimes we have to use steroids. And depending on the disease condition, for example, in lupus or dermatomyositis, patients are on steroids for a long time. And that can weaken their bones. I see. So these patients may need additional calcium and vitamin D supplements from outside. But this is different from children healthy children developing vitamin D deficiency, that could happen too. Right. The um, vitamin D deficiency and calcium, Are you, do doctors still recommend milk? Are they recommending supplements? Are they recommending other um, uh, foods that you know are rich in, in calcium? Because um, I know that milk is kind of like when we were growing up, it was like you have to have a glass of milk every day. But I, I don't know if... I, families do that as much anymore? Um, That's a very good question. So yeah, milk is certainly a rich source of calcium, Mm -hmm. but you can use supplements too. But same is not true for vitamin D. Right. So vitamin, there are very few food items that actually give you adequate vitamin D. So uh, milk is one. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition to that, there could be um, certain uh, vitamin D rich fishes like herring, salmon, um, and but those are not typically, or those are typically not the food that most children. Would no, eat my daughter's on a daily not having basis, herring for dinner. Right? I, I mean, right. I could talk her into some carrots, but I don't think herring. <laughs> right. So, so it's it's hard to meet the required vitamin D mm-hmm. only from natural food substance. So, in addition to that, fortunately, we can our skin can synthesize vitamin D in exposure to sunlight. Even casual exposure to face and arms, a few hours of sun, right? Um, that can actually give you a lot of uh, vitamin D. I know there's, you know, obviously we sunscreen is very important, but mm-hmm. they do say, or I've read that, you know, 20 minutes a day without sunscreen is really ideal. Right. If you can, if you can do that, that's fine. Right. Um, otherwise, um, you know, it's important that we take food that is supplemented with vitamin D. So in America, for example, most milk and most, um, you know, cereals and other food is supplemented by vitamin D. Uh, and if you have a high-risk condition, for example, I described um, somebody who is being treated for rheumatic disease with steroids, they would need to take vitamin D from outside. Mm-hmm. And if you have to take sunscreen or put on sunscreen all the time, you're still getting some vitamin D, but it may not be adequate. So you need vitamin D supplementation in these situations. Interesting. Uh, of all of the your patients, is it kind of across the board in terms of what illnesses they have and why they see you, or is there a certain illness that's more prevalent? Like, do, I didn't even know that kids actually developed lupus as, as children. I thought that was more of like an adult, onset adult disease. Right. So that's a, that's a very good question. So you know, um, if you if you let's say if you spend time in my clinic one day, uh, which you know it's only a theoretical possibility, you will see most patients who come in are coming in with the diagnosis of mechanical pain often or okay. fibromyalgia. And around the s- same numbers, I would say juvenile arthritis as well. Mm-hmm. Now, juvenile arthritis is a broad group of, group of conditions. It's a combination of several individual things. Now, these are the two you know, main bulks. Um, in addition to that, you can see patients with lupus, patients with vasculitis, 
um, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, when uh, we had uh, COVID-19 raging, we were seeing a lot of patients with multi-system inflammatory syndrome mm-hmm. following COVID. So that became a big one around that time. Um, so yeah, these are some of the conditions that you see. Let's talk about juvenile arthritis. Um, um, I'm assuming it's painful for children. Um, I don't know, you know, a ton about it, but what does that look like for a child? Is it manageable? Is it treatable? Um, and, you know, what what would a parent do if their child is diagnosed with that? So I'm glad that we are on this topic. So juvenile arthritis is the commonest type of chronic arthritis in children. It's no longer an unusual, rare, or zebra disease. I want to make this clear at first. And the second thing is, it's very eminently treatable, Mm -hmm. depending on what type of juvenile arthritis um, your child have, or, you know, someone's child has, um, there are very good treatment. And now the treatment is getting better and better. We are, um, you know, moving towards individual tailored treatment based on uh, the immunological pathways that are actually responsible for causing the disease. Mm -hmm. So we are very close to um, basically completely controlling juvenile arthritis. Wow. So I would say the short answer to your question would be um, there is very little difference, if any, between somebody with fully treated, adequately controlled juvenile arthritis and somebody who has not had the disease in terms of longevity, quality, quality of life, school, gym, sports participation, both competitive and recreational, college participation, able to have a family, able to have a job, all of that. So everything is possible. Oh, wow. And so how is it treated? Is it just different types of treatment depending on? Right. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, there are medications um, to treat. So sometimes if there is only one joint involved or two joints involved and, you know, there is not much other inflamed joint, Mm -hmm. we sometimes um, put in steroids in the joint. That's where the joint injection comes in. Oh, I see. Um, Then in that case, the child does not have to be on long term medication. Mm -hmm. But it's not if it's not possible Mm -hmm. to do that because of more number of joint involvements or if there if you know, sometimes they would not respond to a joint injection. They may have to go on to immunosuppressive medications, and sometimes they would go on to more aggressive immunosuppression with biologic medications. Okay. Is that ever life-threatening? So, as I said before, juvenile arthritis is a collection of different types of diseases. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the types of juvenile arthritis are not life-threatening, but if you leave them untreated, they can be quite debilitating. I see. Because they could destroy joints, and the child um, would eventually grow up uh, to be an adult with growth problems, with disabilities, with joint movement problems, etc. Wow. But there is one type of juvenile arthritis which is still classified in juvenile arthritis, which is different from all other types of juvenile arthritis. It's called the systemic juvenile arthritis. Okay. And that is a type of arthritis where in addition to have, having joint inflammation, a child can have fevers, rashes, enlargements of internal organs like liver and spleen, collection of fluid around heart and lung. And these children, if not treated, can become very sick, can get into hospital sometimes in the ICU, and um, it could be life-threatening. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, How young can a child develop arthritis? So it depends on the type of arthritis again. Um, Broadly, arthritis can be acute or chronic. Acute arthritis is often as a result of infection, like a bacterial infection of the joint or viral infection of the joint or in this part of New Jersey, Lyme disease. And chronic arthritis is often immune-mediated arthritis that we were talking about. Um, 
a child as young as a neonate can develop acute arthritis or bacterial infection of joints. And when it comes to chronic arthritis, I've had patients who have who are only a few uh, few months old who had mm. uh, developed arthritis. That's quite possible too. Wow. So how would a parent be able to know that the, they're that they're expressing those symptoms? You know, as a baby, I'm sure they're crying. But how how would you be able to pinpoint that at such a right? Pain? So if it's if it's acute arthritis, usually the baby is very sick. Okay. Um, they would not be able to, um, you know, move their legs, for example, uh, and they're crying. And sometimes in acute arthritis, they would have fevers too, and they would look very sick. They would not be active. They would not be feeding well. And that's that's more of acute arthritis. In chronic arthritis, um, the manifestations can be more subtle. For example, a child who was very comfortably sitting up mm-hmm. is no longer able to sit, or somebody who was crawling till last week has stopped crawling, or somebody who was standing is no longer standing. Yeah. So those things can happen, and it can happen over several weeks, basically. So. And how is the diagnosed? Is there a test? Is there a blood test? Um, so... Blood tests can help us rule out other conditions, mm-hmm. and blood tests can also help us substantiate inflammation or sometimes, you know, finding indirect evidence of inflammation, but the diagnosis of arthritis is by clinical exam. So uh, a rheumatologist has to examine the joint. We can gather supportive evidence and assess the degree of damage the arthritis has caused by getting tests like x-rays, ultrasounds, and MRIs. Mm. Um, But um, the first step and the most reliable step in diagnosing arthritis is um, examination of the joint by a rheumatologist. Okay. You also mentioned... um I think before we signed on with diabetes, um, why would a child um, need to see a rheumatologist with diabetes? Oh, the child um, child with the diabetes um, does not need to see a rheumatologist ordinarily. But I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is in diabetes in children, which is also an autoimmune disease, um, so c- certain rheumatic diseases are at least as common as that. So that, that was to give you an idea of how um, common is arthritis in children. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so, I see what you're yeah. saying. Okay. So. Um, and what, um, so if a, a child is, you know, expressing some Um, maybe symptoms of, you know, having a hard time like stretching their legs out or they're complaining of pain and maybe the parent is like, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Um, What are like some telltale symptoms to really make sure that like, you know, obviously your child is okay and that um, it's not something that, you know, should be ignored? So, um, you know, there are some causes of joint pains are more benign and Mm -hmm. some are more worrisome. Um, if um, so, some of the benign conditions would be growing pain or hypermobility-related joint pain. So hypermobility is where a child's joints are more flexible than most of his peers. It's mm-hmm. not an abnormal condition; it's mm-hmm. a benign condition. Okay. Um, and in these situations, often the pain is at the end of the day, at the end of an active day, activity-related, and is often not, um, you know, not um, related to. Um, morning stiffness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if a child is actually stiff in the morning, every morning they're slow in doing their things. They're having a hard time getting out of bed. They're having a hard time at the breakfast table. They're having a hard time getting in the car while going to school. Um, if they're weak, so if if they're having a hard time climbing the stairs or getting up from a chair, if there is any visible swelling of any one joint, or if there is any um, asymmetry in the symptoms. For example, one leg hurts remarkably more than the other leg. Mm -hmm. If there is associated fever or any rash with the joint pain, uh, 
And if a joint pain is waking a child up from sleep in the middle of night. So these are things that um, require more prompt attention and evaluation because it could be rheumatic diseases. It could also be other things like neoplasms or cancers. Oh, interesting. Okay. Where, um, so the, like I said before, the um, the parent would, you know, first make an appointment with the pediatrician, um, recommended to, to see a rheumatologist. Where um, can parents make an appointment to come see you? So uh, they can come uh, see me at Kehovnani Children's Hospital. My office is at Hope Tower, is on the fifth floor. I practice there with other pediatric um, subspecialty colleagues, and I also have one other uh, pediatric rheumatology partner who practices oh. with me. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Okay, right, and uh, that's Neptune, right? That's Neptune. Neptune is a beautiful building, um, and we'll link all of the information through uh, Hackensack Meridian Children's Health website to um, get more information and to and to find you. Um, thank you so much for coming on and and telling us about your world and how you're helping children get better, which is incredible. Um, I know you mentioned that you work a little bit with the Arthritis Foundation. I'm yes, a, a bit familiar with locally. Um, so uh, if you are struggling and, you know, would like to get a second opinion or need some more information, um, we'll have all the information linked here. Um, next up, we have our, um, we just posted a Valentine's Day guide on the momsmoms.com. So if you are looking for something to do for um, the season of love, <laughs> whether you um, want a date night or you want to do something fun with the kids, there's lots of fun activities happening throughout, I'd say like the first half of uh, February. There's uh, vendor events happening. There's um, uh, fun things to do with the kids. We put some restaurant ideas on there for family friendly. And, and for and not, I, I like to usually include my kids with Valentine's Day so you don't have to get a sitter and it's just fun for everyone. So um, definitely check that out. And then also we just launched tickets to our summit, which um, is, is sponsored by Hackensack Meridian Children's Health. Thank you so much for generous sponsors. Um, the Mammoth Mom Summit is uh, Thursday, April 11th. Tickets are now on sale. Join us for a day of um, speakers, panelists, breakout sessions, educational experience experiences, vendors, networking, headshots. Um, all the information is on our website, so make sure to grab tickets for that. We have early bird ticket pricing now through January 31st. Really excited, and I will do a special um, podcast just to talk a little bit about the um, the summit and the panelists and all of the incredible women that we have um, joining us that day. So stay tuned for that and more. And as always, make sure to check our calendar for the latest events and activities happening throughout the community in 2024. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for joining.